this morning. The reading is taken from Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 11. This can be found on page 1,250 of the Church Bibles and will also appear on the screens. Revelation 22, starting at verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign for ever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll, because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right, and let the holy person continue to be holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much. My name is Graham Pringle. I'm an associate minister here. And Advent is a time of preparation, preparing both for Christmas and also preparing for Jesus' return. The uh, book of Revelation, God says, I'm making everything new. So let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you make everything new. We thank you for sending Jesus. And we look forward to his return when all things will be made new. Please speak to us today from your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So how do you imagine heaven? I'm just going to give you 20 seconds just to maybe close your eyes and just sort of have a picture of what you think heaven is like. For many of us, our vision of heaven has been shaped not only by the Bible, but also by a Greek philosopher called Plato. 
Plato lived about 400 years before Jesus. He was a student of Socrates, and his teaching has greatly influenced the way that our society thinks about heaven and hell. I've got a short video clip uh, that, if it plays, we've had some problems uh, today with uh, the tech, but uh, hopefully this will play. A single incident here in Athens, Greece, helped inspire the hell we know today. This guy, legendary philosopher Socrates, is sentenced to death by a jury of 500 Athenians after getting on the wrong side of the ruling elite. His student Plato is mad as hell and demands retribution. Plato was realizing a painful truth. Real life isn't like an old movie. The world is a place where innocent people suffer and where bad people get away with it. So Plato decides to make everything right in the land of the dead. Plato takes this Greek idea of the afterlife and he moralizes it. And he says, no, the afterlife is not this bland place where we all go regardless of what we do. It matters how you behave in this world and that determines what kind of afterlife you get. Plato invented heaven and hell, a package that would be instantly recognizable to a medieval Christian monk was created by Plato 500 years before Christ was born. Plato's hell is filled with crashing water and boiling lava. Souls come up against three judges of the dead. Good guys go to the blessed isles, which is like heaven. But it looks like bad guys are up the creek without a paddle. Thrown into an enormous whirlpool, drowning over and over, deep under the earth. There's also fiery beings, like demons, who humiliate the worst sinners for all eternity. Good guys get an old-fashioned Hollywood happy ending. in hell. Retribution in a giant washing machine. <laughs> well, that's the way sort of Plato thought about heaven and hell. We read the Bible, but often when we read the Bible, sometimes we think about heaven and hell the pictures that we have maybe come more from Plato than from the Bible. So this morning we're going to try and paint a biblical picture of heaven. But before we do that, I want to share with you my personal vision of beauty. We can have the first slide. Now it's not just Jan. <laughs> 
This photo was taken a few weeks ago at the Grand Canyon. And I've been wanting to go to the Grand Canyon for 41 years. It was while I was at university, I sort of began to dream that one day I might go there. And I had a very clear picture in my head as to what I would see uh, once, once I got there. Uh, that photo was taken on our third day. We'd already in the previous days seen the Grand Canyon at sunrise and at sunset. But we'd always seen it surrounded by crowds of people. And it didn't detract from the views, but it was a sense that there was lots and lots of people there. On the second day, it was at a swimming pool, and I overheard someone tell, tell a friend about where he thought was the best place to view the canyon. And he said, you'll be there all by yourself. He said that uh, the maps that you get given as you go into the national park show all the best places, but there's one place which they don't put on the map because they use it as a venue for weddings and they just don't want everyone turning up in the middle of a wedding. Uh, but he described quite clearly how you got there. Start from uh, Grand Canyon Village where we were staying, go down a certain road, after 2.6 miles you'll find a place on the left which isn't marked but there's a place where you can park your car. Then you'll see a barrier across a, a lane, a, a track. Walk around that barrier, you can't drive through it. Walk through the forest for a mile, and eventually you'll come to this point. So I sort of made mental notes overhearing this conversation, and I said, I know we're going to go tomorrow morning. And that's what we did, and it turned out exactly as he had described it. And when we got there, it was breathtaking, but we felt as if we had the whole Grand Canyon to ourselves. One of the things that the photos don't, uh, you can't get from, from photos is just the scale of it all. You see Jan there looking at, we were on the south rim of the, of the canyon, she's looking over there to the north rim. That's 18 miles away, the north rim. The canyon is 280 miles long. Uh, you can cross it at one end by a bridge and you can cross it at the other end at the, at the Hoover Dam. But for the 280 miles in between, there's no way of driving across the canyon. And it's a mile deep. Um, and I say, that's a vision I'd sort of been carrying with uh, for, for a long time. Um, and when we got there, it did not disappoint. We spent about an hour there. And even though I'd been wanting to go for 41 years, after an hour, I said to Jan, shall we go and have breakfast? <laughs> because I wanted something to do. It was beautiful, but I wanted something to do. For many of us, heaven is a place where we just sit around doing nothing. Something beautiful to look at. But the picture, this biblical picture of heaven is heaven not as a static place, where heaven is not a tableau. I really like tableaus at Christmas, and uh, we have one here uh, each year at Christmas as well, as the children dress up, and most churches just have one Mary, here we have several, um, and uh, Joseph's, and, uh, and all the animals, and then everyone gets at the front, and 
takes photos. That's a tableau, something beautiful to look at. But actually, none of the people in it do anything. And the main point I want to get across this morning is that that's not a picture, a biblical picture of heaven. Heaven is a place, we're looking forward to a place where we will have purpose, where we will be doing things. Today we're going to be looking at the last two chapters of the Bible, of the next slide, Revelation 1 and Revelation 21 and 22. But in order to understand the last two chapters of the Bible, we really need to begin with the first two chapters of the Bible in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Genesis 1 and 2 give us two creation stories from different perspectives. And as I've said before, some Christians take these stories as being literally true and others see them more like parables. But either way, they are packed with symbolism and meaning. The first story paints the global picture from Genesis 1. Let me just read you the first few verses of that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and he separated light from darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Well, in Genesis chapter 1, the global picture, it tells us that creation's not an accident, that it's the result of divine action where God brings order out of chaos and that humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. Let me just read you a few more verses towards the end. Chapter verses 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that are moving along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. In Genesis chapter one, one of the key words that we find is the word separate. We find it throughout that chapter where God separates light from darkness. He separates the waters. Then he separates water from land. He separates day from night. We'll come back to that idea of separation in a moment. But Genesis chapter 2 gives us a different creation story. This one is a more intimate picture of God creating humans in a garden. Let me read from Genesis chapter 2. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, 
and he put there the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in this picture, God gives Adam and Eve a purpose to work in the garden in partnership with him. And God walks in the garden and talks with the man and the woman. So the global picture of creation in Genesis 1, the more intimate picture of a garden in Genesis chapter 2. Then in Genesis chapter 3, as we know, everything goes wrong. Adam and Eve are banished from the garden and they become separated from the tree of life. That's how the Bible begins. And the rest of the Bible story is how uh, we find our way back to God, or rather how God finds us and brings us back to him. In the Old Testament, this vision of God being with us and not being separated is symbolized by the temple in the city of Jerusalem. It began a bit earlier with the tabernacle, God amongst his people, but then it sort of uh, gets in bricks and mortar in the temple in Jerusalem. And that was a symbol of God inhabiting, dwelling amongst us, not being separated, but being with us. But the prophets had a vision of that becoming even greater. And Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 60, he takes the Genesis 1 story and sort of expands on that of how God can be with us. So Genesis chapter 60, this is Isaiah Isaiah chapter 60, this is Isaiah's vision. He has this vision of Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem. He begins the chapter saying, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. And his vision is this, The sun will be no no more your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and the moon will wane no more. For the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. And so the separation of light and darkness and, um, that we find in Genesis 1 is symbolized here of saying that God is going to be the light and he is going to be shining on his people and be with us. And Ezekiel takes this, the creation story in Genesis 2 and develops that. This is another great Old Testament prophet. So Ezekiel 47, he has this vision of, uh, of Jerusalem not just being for the Jewish people, but being a place that would be a blessing for the whole of humanity. And his vision is one of a river flowing out from from the, alt, from the temple in Jerusalem and flowing out of the city of Jerusalem and flowing and as it flows it gets bigger and bigger 
and it flows into the Dead Sea. And when it reaches the Dead Sea, it, uh, it transforms the Dead Sea so it's no longer a dead sea. It becomes fresh water. And along this river, uh, there are trees growing. Verse 12 of Ezekiel 47. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them and the fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So that's the Old Testament uh, prophets speaking about their vision for the future. Notice not a vision of going to heaven when we die, but it's a vision of God coming to earth and uh, his goodness and his light and the life-giving water flowing out to the whole earth. Both of those visions of Isaiah and Ezekiel were partially fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Jesus, the light of the world, who came to live amongst us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the word become flesh who dwelt among us. Jesus dying and rising again in the city of Jerusalem. And then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming amongst the disciples and flowing out and the disciples and believers taking the Holy Spirit throughout the world. So in Jesus, there is the fulfillment of both Isaiah's vision and Ezekiel's vision. But the final vision is what we then find in Revelations 21 and 22. So let me read you from uh, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared for a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. A new heaven and a new earth. The heaven and earth which in Genesis 1 were separate. Isaiah's vision of God being the light now find its fulfilment in Revelation 21 where God makes a new heaven and a new earth. And the key is that, the, is that heaven and earth are come together. They join together in one place. Just as God came to the temple, just as God came in Jesus and dwelt among us, so the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, will come and join together with earth.
And then Revelation chapter 22, the passage we had read for us this morning, is really the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 2. Here in Genesis chapter 2, the vision of a garden becomes the vision of a garden city. Genesis chapter 2, the garden where there was the tree of life becomes the garden city where there is the tree of life. And just as in Ezekiel, his vision of the river flowing out from Jerusalem with trees growing either side for healing becomes in Revelation 22, the, the river that flows out from the new Jerusalem into the whole of the earth where the tree of life grows along its banks for the healing of the nations. Revelation 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city and on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the trees offer the healing of the nations. So the biblical picture is not heaven that we go to just to do nothing, but rather it's a picture of heaven and earth coming together. And just as God had a purpose for his people in Genesis chapter 1, where Adam and Eve were given the job of working with his creation, developing the creation, caring for his creation, so we continue to have that purpose um, in in Revelation. Our final vision is of a world which really truly becomes the sort of world that God wants it to be. Our vision is for a people who know God just as an Adam and Eve knew God and that we fulfill God's purposes for us. And that means that what we do now really matters. There are some people, some Christians, who think actually what we do here on earth doesn't matter because one day God's just going to destroy it all and start again. And uh, therefore, why bother caring for the earth? God's going to destroy it all. But the true biblical picture is actually an earth that's not destroyed, but an earth that has been renewed. That passage that I began with where God says, behold, I'm making all things new. And so my picture of heaven, or heaven on earth, my picture of the final new earth, is an earth that's not too dissimilar from the earth that we live in. I hope it still has the Grand Canyon. But it's an earth which no longer has the evil and all the bad things that we find in this earth. Jesus came to say that he was coming to bring the kingdom of God on earth. His prayer is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he invites all of us to start now on that project of making the earth the way that he wants it to be. It won't be perfect until he comes again. But when he does come again, he will continue and help us and transform the world to make it new 
and he invites us to start that journey now. So let's stand. <laughs>